for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome back, everyone, to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today on the show, we're talking about food as a whole and the concept of food design with Jane Armour Rowden. What is food design exactly? What do we mean when we say something we eat is sustainable? How can food design invigorate our relationship with the food we put into our mouth? Let's chat with Jane, the foodsmith, and find out. Hi, Jane. How are you doing? Hi, person. Thanks. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Oh, it's lovely to have you. So, Jane, let's start at the very beginning. A question I like to ask all my guests when they come on is to share a little bit about you growing up. Were you Are you born and brought up in Dunedin or other parts of New Zealand? I'm born in New Zealand but moved around a lot. Most of my early years were in Nelson, which is yep. a lovely foodie place. Um most people hearing that I'm a food designer think that I've got some sort of great wealth of food experience or I I had some kindly grandmother and I spent every weekend in the kitchen with her. Um, but actually, none of that's true. I grew up in a large family and we were exceptionally poor. And we didn't have enough food for us to experiment with or, you know, practice baking at the weekend or helping or anything. Um, So I didn't really learn food things specifically, but my mother was exceptionally skilled at making, um, making the most out of what we had. And she was an avid recipe book reader. So... I kind of grew up with the idea that um, food be seasonal and um, we foraged for food. We got given lots of our neighbours' surplus stuff. So I saw my mother dealing with these things. But actually, um, yeah, it wasn't really until I left home that that I started cooking for myself. I think that's interesting because when you say that about, um, you know, not really experimenting with food in the kitchen when you were growing up and things, that's interesting because when I sometimes talk to my mum, she tells me the same thing. Like she's kind of grown up with having food around in the background, but not necessarily this kind of image that we have of, you know, grandmoms and kids like baking together and and stuff like that. So, um Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Like, I know you have a degree in arts and you've worked in the library, but tell us a a little bit about how you entered the world of food. Um, Like like most teenagers, I started dishwashing in restaurants, waitressing, doing prep work for events, uh, event catering. Um, So food was was sort of there, but um, yeah, it certainly wasn't something that was ever suggested as a, a career. And to me, it was just sink fills of pots and 
hot water and nasty people. So um, I actually trained to be a professional florist. Um, and But food was always something that I did while I was at art school and stuff like um, later on. It's always been a filler. When my children were small, I, I worked in this really lovely local rest home where everything was home cooked. We made scones for afternoon tea and, you know, it was a lovely place to cook and a lovely place to get that sort of foodie interaction. But um, I kind of carried on florist events, cake decorating, making, making, then thought, oh, actually, maybe this could all be smushed together into a degree. So went to art school, um, but also while I was at art school, doing my degree part-time. I was working as a bookbinder at the public library. Um, so I've always had a couple of jobs. Um, and kind of when, when my job at the library was being restructured, um, I, I, I had met a woman, Liz, through the local ceramics group, and she was just coming back from Mexico with this idea of making bean-to-bar chocolate. And I had a really good palate and could describe flavours and things like that. Um, so I started working with her, just tasting her trials, tasting different beans from different regions of, you know, cocoa-producing countries. And three and a half years later, I had worked with her to get her business up and up and running. It was great. I was chocolate making. I was developing products, training staff, working at the farmer's market. And then her business, Ocho Chocolate, had um, become bigger than that startup stage. It got to the stage where you need food techs and you need marketing consult. You need a whole lot more than than I was capable of. But I loved that startup food phase. So I thought, ooh, what can I do? <laughs> so um, I went to Polytech and just at that time, there was the sort of just starting to become known Food, food design was becoming known as a, a thing, particularly in Europe. There was a few graduating from Eindhoven, the biggest sort of design school in the Netherlands. And the School of Culinary Arts and the Department of Design at the Polytech were really supportive of um, and kind of embedded that design thinking into their food programs. So I kind of slotted in there and did a post-grad and it's basically design thinking, but instead of maybe becoming a graphic designer or having a product at the end, I just applied that thinking to food. So I kind of came out calling myself a food designer. Um, there was amazing, just amazing tutors there, and, and it really kind of made sense of my whole past creative and food careers that tied it together so I mean there's just so many interesting things that I want to pull out here. <laughs> <laughs> like firstly I just want to say um you know what you did around with Ocho chocolate um that is kind of like 
my dream state of being. Like, you know, like you help projects kind of go from this like really abstract idea into like getting them into real life. Like that is to me at least where the magic happens. So yes. um, I love what you're doing there. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds so cool. <laughs> um, so I just love that. And the other thing is that, um, you know, when I was researching for the show and I read that you'd studied food design, I immediately kind of went down the rabbit hole of being <laughs> like, um, Ooh, what is this thing? And how can I get a qualification in food design? <laughs> um, never mind that I have two kids and like a thousand other things going <laughs> so it's like secretly doing it because I thought if my husband sees me researching like post-grad food design he's probably gonna just tell me to leave the house and not come back <laughs> but um yeah so I'm just curious like you spoke about like that in food design you know you learn about basically design frameworks and applying that to food but um I guess I mean, I have a hospitality background and I've studied, I have a degree in hospitality, but I'm just really curious, like what were maybe the subjects and things that you learn in such a course? And um, why is there, why is this not being taught in any of the other places? <laughs> um, well, I think it was being taught at AUT through okay. maybe the food technology. Um, and I think it's probably modules but at Otago Polytechnic, it was just this great mix of thinking and tutors and professors that helped it be something more. Um, I guess the whole design framework really is, is around problem solving mm. and, and what thinking about what people want, how they use it, rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to make a drink or a, you know, a loaf of bread. It's actually how are people engaging. So there was a lot more thinking. And, and I'm always like a big on the research, big on the learning, big on thinking things through. So, um but yeah, I don't know why it's not taught at more places because it's it affects so many things. I mean, food is kind of central to all humans. So I yeah, it seems to me to be a pretty basic and natural, but also a really good use of my magpie brain, really of collecting little bits of shiny information all over the place and smushing it together <laughs> um yeah so like you know another thing was when I was kind of preparing for this one when I spoke to you the first time was when I first came across the term food designer so before we had our initial chat um you know I kind of did a google on like what food designers and I got like this Pinterest page of <laughs> like vegetables arranged in the shape of a face and like you know these smiling cheese sandwiches and I was like I'm really sure it's it's not that um then I found this Instagram page that you manage where you put it beautifully you say and I want to quote you because it just brought up so many things for me like you say that a food designer um know is a conjurer of memories a connector of people place and time and for me this was it was like a light bulb moment because you're right like you know 
it's about like food is so central and i think this is happening not only in food maybe it's also kind of happening in marketing like um these two things are such central concepts of like business and like also yeah. just kind of like who we are it can't be that we bung it into the silo of like either you're doing food or you're not like yeah. everyone is experiencing food and so much of it is your stories like i'm just thinking how i relate to food is also about where i come from yeah. it's all very relevant to like the food you've eaten growing yeah. up and the experiences you form around those those kind of things so can you tell us a little bit about i mean has this um definition for you of food design changed or like why why is this special to you Ooh. well i think because food is so central that the way food is used to connect families when you get together it's it's the thing that when there's some family tension, you can always like shove a bowl of food at somebody and get them to shut up. You know? <laughs> it's like you can use it in a lot of ways. But when you're sick and you're recovering and you just want to eat something, it will be something from your home, something from your childhood, something that nourishes all of you not just it's not just food it's not a specific energy it's so much more um food in a sense is like a connector of I mean, it's a it's a connector of culture really not not only culture as in you've always eaten these things but the social culture of always taking a gift of food to somebody's house or um food gift giving I mean there's so many connectors besides just you know a bowl of food in front of you and I think that's what I love it's so diverse yeah um, in fact you know I recently this year I read um that book on love languages and yes. um which you know kind of shows like how people express their love and um while I was reading it and then following that, I was having another conversation with someone and we were like, actually they need to add another language. And that sixth language needs to be food. Like, cause I'm not big on like receiving gifts or anything, but I will happily always accept like a plate of food. And so much for me growing up has also been like, if someone gifted us food as well, I don't know, at least in my house, we were always taught we couldn't give the empty utensil back. Like you always had to put something in it. So, and maybe that's an Indian thing. But so even if it's just, you know, a couple of tablespoons of sugar, because everyone has sugar. So if you have nothing, you put a couple of tablespoons of sugar to give your thanks, but that oh, you I just can't it. return this empty bowl. And um yeah, and that to me just really kind of shows how important and like what a strong way of showing our connection and culture food can be. Oh, I love that. I think that is fantastic. The yeah, the reciprocity. <laughs> I love that the giving something back, but um, yeah, it it is. It's it is a very complex human thing the 
the food and the psychology of it, the physical, the physicalness, everything. Just, just love it. (laughs) So tell me then, like, if you had to name the top kind of three or four things that a food designer works on, what, what would those be? Like, um, I mean, obviously you spoke about what you did with Ocho Chocolate, but you've obviously done many more projects since then. Um, and your understanding of what a food designer does has evolved as well. So if you look at the work you do now, what are kind of like the three or four core things that you can help, um, you know, businesses with? Okay. Well, food designers around the world can all do different things. Um, They can work with trends in food and consumer behaviours. They can work with teams to facilitate new products. Um, They can help you navigate solutions around sustainability, um, problem solving, things like that. Um, You can work within a multidisciplinary team to to deliver um, a more robust design outcome. But for me, my area of specialty really is the is that early stage startup. I'm based in Dunedin, and we don't have a food incubator here. We don't we don't have that, and so even though there are pe- quite a lot of people with amazing little food businesses here and things, and some some bigger growing businesses. Um, I think at that very early stage, you've done your initial proof of concept, your friends like what you do, but then it's then you kind of just need someone by your side just to help you along those next few stages to see whether your product really is viable. Um, I think, yeah, working with with some with a food designer, oh, working with me kind of cuts out a lot of the waste time, saves money because you get you get a plan. We you get to talk through your ideas um, and really know where you're going. Um, I think you had a another Sorry to interrupt. I wanna yeah. uh, so it's kind of like the way I can see you saying it is that you're kind of like this life coach, but for like food businesses, because yes. you're like asking the right questions. Yes. And um, having just launched my own business, um, I was really lucky to have a couple of mentors who were like really entrenched in the FMCG space. And that's what they did for me. Like they just kind of asked me the right questions. And often it was just through my own like verbal vomit, I discovered the answer, but I just needed to kind of like talk through it with someone that's, rather than, um, it's not just clear. <laughs> yes, someone to talk through. I kind of sort of think I'm a bit of a sidekick, you know, I just, just the person there who is, is just around, asks a few questions, lets you get on with, with what you're doing. Um, but you know, um, you had a previous person on on one of your podcasts who said, you know, it costs like $200,000 to launch a product from woe to getting it on the uh, supermarket shelves. Um, so I work at that really early stage. So then you decide, you kind of get to this point where they can decide, 
okay, this is too much of a commitment. I'm never going to be able to afford to do this. It's not quite right. Or this is worth borrowing some money against my house and getting stuck in to. Um, so that's the, yeah, kind of working on, on a, the plan is really a big thing for me um, that, that I work with. The other thing is a, a lot of, you know, in food businesses, people are always offering to taste test and you don't always get good feedback. So I, I taste test. Because everyone just wants a plate of free food, right? Like I'm, just, I'm just laughing at this because I was looking to do some feedback and I did this um, and sent a whole bunch of food to people. And then I realized that actually they, just, they don't know how to give the feedback. Like, yeah. Because when you tell me tastes good, it means nothing. Like yeah. it doesn't actually give me any critical feedback and like my husband does this so he's amazing he you know like I didn't when we got married I didn't know how to cook anything and that guy's eaten everything I've made maybe complained like 10 times but like I always tell him when I'm doing like more kind of the businessy stuff like when I was taste testing dishes for catering or for like our business right now and uh you know and he'll go like yeah this tastes good and I'm just like like you're the most useless person for feedback because like you just like everything so it's not like it's not a barometer of like you know how it would succeed in the market yeah, yeah. I think it it is having a good palate to taste things and I don't know, when my kids were little, I used to be able to kind of work out the ingredients from a lot of bought things so that I could recreate them at home. So it's like having that palette that can pick out the cinnamon from the nutmeg or the, you know, whatever mm. ingredients. And so I think that giving being able to taste and give feedback. Critical feedback's like like an art thing. You know, you give critical feedback um, during all the, the times I was at art school. Um, so it's I've just I'm very good at moving things, transferring a skill from one thing into another. Um, the I guess the other thing so I is recipe development. Sometimes you have a product, but then it's like, oh, what can I do with it? How can I do something that people can then make at home easily, something I could publish on my website? So um, I do a little bit of that as well. So, um, and that's, yeah, fun. It's all fun. Oh, and I, could, I, could I call myself a food designer? So for me, my sweet spot's also like being able to tell the stories behind food. Yes. And I feel that that's such an uh, important um, part. So it I was going to ask you, can I go around calling myself a food designer as well? You can, you can. Um, but because there is no specific qualification, like you can't go around calling yourself an architect unless you've done that. Food design or is good because you can say that and you can say your area of speciality is telling the stories around yeah. food. So you're qualified exactly what you do. <laughs> Fine. Um, I've been doing, I'm, I have just become the New Zealand ambassador for Food Design Nation, which is a global platform of food designers, but they call them food creatives. So it's 
it's anybody who writes about food, makes food, designs packaging for food. It's so the biggest thing is actually connecting people, people from various backgrounds, various disciplines, um, to increase the knowledge of everyone. And so, yeah, I would definitely, <laughs> if you don't already call yourself a food creator, if you can just whip that design word. <laughs> well, because I just feel that, you know, like you can always go and make the most amazing plate of food. But if, like to me, what makes it special is kind of knowing the story. Like, you know, if you gave me two plates and you told me one of these were cookies that you made with your grandma and it was this recipe and like you've t tweaked it and now you've added sea salt. Previously, your granny just added normal salt because that's what, you know, was in her pantry. Yeah. You discovered this amazing salt. You found it. Now it's magic. That's amazing. Versus just like, oh, here's a cookie from, I got it from Countdown. Yeah. You know? So I feel that's where the kind of magic can yep, happen. Definitely. Definitely, the stories. And there are so many good food stories. Well, I also want to talk a little bit because I feel like, I mean, in the kind of current environment we are, I feel that like food is kind of reset, right? Like so I'm talking mainly about the pandemic and like the ongoing lockdowns. And I feel before that we were getting further and further away from the kitchen. Um, you know, I've been to countries like Hong Kong where like the kitchen's often like in the laundry area and that's the only kitchen they have because homes are so tiny um, or you'll go I've been to people who are really high net worth individuals they have a fancy kitchen but they never use it because someone else makes their food and in the current state we were in like people had to kind of re- make that relationship almost with the food because you again had a limited pantry and you had to cook from it so people yeah. were getting creative and um you know just like doing doing a lot of things and so do you feel like this kind of moment in time has helped helped us kind of rejig that relationship with food somewhat definitely definitely it's over that lockdown um food food became no pre-covid food was more like food porn it looked good or well, you watched it. You watched or what's the next thing you can do with cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it was about being part of, oh, I'm definitely identify as a clean eater or a something. But over lockdown, people started to have to be more self-reliant and, and think about things. And so food became a, a comfort, um, a connector, back to maybe childhood things you would have made. Um, it became a form of communication, um, entertainment. It, it became lots of things. And I think even, even since those initial lockdown times, when people go back to buying food and things, I think it's changed their relationship to what they want to want to eat there's a whole lot more just people wanting local local things fresh things um try they're willing to try something new because they had to improvise during lockdown so 
I think it's a brilliant time for food. Well, I want to pick up on this thing around what you said around shop local, right? Because um, a lot of people initially after the lockdown kind of started doing the shop local more as like, a, oh, we need to support small businesses and we need to support the people who are making it. But I also feel that people discovered, um, well, I really got into like doing a little bit of gardening and I had all these like elaborate food parties within my extended <laughs> bubble because there's nothing else to do. So, um, you know, we did like a tali meal and like I was doing like themed nights. <laughs> but what that really taught me was this kind of like when food is grown locally, because I got into gardening and like I kind of grew a little bit, nothing too fancy, just like tomatoes and something else, like salad leaves, I think. But that was the first time in my life I actually enjoyed eating salad because I felt so invested, you know, like here was this thing, I grew it from seed and it made me like appreciate what I was eating. So I wasn't, I was very this about, you know, like it's taken me three hours to make this burger dough, like for this bun. You're not going to like just stuff it down your face. You're going to like respect the time it's taken me to make this thing and eat it slowly. Um, and the same with the salad. Like, you know, it's I, I appreciate how long it took me. And it tastes nicer because it, I waited for it. Yeah. Like it's the anticipation thing, right? So I feel like. I don't know, like, because this is how it was in the olden times. Like, everything wasn't a feast. And I, there is a post that you've mentioned on, like, that's there on your blog where, you know, you've kind of, I want to, again, I want to quote you on this, that, like, as food has become industrialized and easy, plentiful, we've lost that connection of special food for meaningful occasions. And that's where the disconnect is happening, where we think about all these problems like obesity and, um, not even maybe not obesity because that's got other things, but like just the disconnect of like, I'm just going to like, you know, stuff my face while I run out for a meeting or like, I'm not going to sit down and appreciate this thing. So yeah, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely that disconnect um, between, between food and, and the, commercialize it you know you just get back from like in the new year and you just start in January and you're back at work and things and there's easter eggs in the shop it's like is there no time when you can just pause and appreciate what what is there I think a lot of that is probably from my childhood we only had cake when it was our birthdays. Luckily, there was like six of us, so you know, at least, at least once every two months we got cake. Um, we never had fizzy drinks. Ice cream was once a year. You know these. So they. I remember. Are... I remember McDonald's had come into my into India when I was like maybe in sixth or seventh grade, and Mum took me to McDonald's because I did well in my exams. Yeah. You know, and I just compare that to like now when the urge to take my kids to McDonald's is more like, oh, they're just like being a pain in the ass. I need to like distract them. Let's go to McDonald's. Or it's like I'm between school and taking them to an afternoon activity. We'll just go through the drive through and get McNuggets. Um, I remember watching Lydia Ko, the golfer, quite a few years ago, and she won. I know I'm not sporty, but anyway, she won this tournament. And someone said, what are you going to do now? And she said, 
I'm allowed some Coke. You know, it was like a bottle of Coca-Cola. It was, that was a reward. So it, it made me realize among lots of people that, that that is an, that is a good thing. You know, it's good to have special food, reward food, and daily food. I mean, you can stuff yourself silly with chocolate, ice cream, chips every day of the week now. And and um, so what do you do on special occasions? You just have to have more of it, you know. Yeah. It's all a bit weird. <laughs> and I also remember, like, I mean, talking about the kind of feasting and the culture. I mean, we see this across cultures where food is a big part about feasts, right? Yeah. And um like in India, I know like Diwali is a big festival, yeah. for example. And a big part about Diwali is these women coming together and making um, making these snacks, like these deep fried muruku. And and then, you know, you make a, a thali of dry fruits and snacks and send it off to people's homes. And that's kind of like your Diwali thing. Obviously, every year it just gets more and more extravagant, like because it's, again, commercialized. But its roots were simple. It started because here's this festival. We want to meet and, um, you know, it's like it's this complex food. It's not something that you can make by yourself. Like there's too many elements. So let's meet and let's do it together. And everyone gets a tray of what we made. And to me, that feels simple. But like, you know, and and we've just like complicated it where it doesn't need to be. We have. Food was joyful and it was for sharing and and that people that didn't have much still shared what they had um when groups of women in almost every culture get together to cook it's far more than the cooking it's the whole social bonding and and things um yeah it is we've taken something simple and just blown it out of the water (laughs) so then I guess my question is like how do you as a food designer try to bring back a little bit of that like do you try to bring back a little bit like I see I know for example you've done a lot with the kind of appreciating of the local ingredients and things like that like could you talk a little bit about how maybe you are trying to bring some of that back or maybe you're not yeah I I, am it's not always easy to do I do try and talk a lot about about local or people maybe not using local ingredients but local people creating a product um, sometimes I do some work for a small event company but that's that would be more about creating some sort of other wow to add to the event some other layer so food design in that way has been used yeah to to add more meaning which is actually is still very simple um yeah you're just adding layers of meaning to things which are already existing um some things instead of going bigger and hugely more extreme depending on the the event or the situation, you can actually simplify it right down to to something very interactive that people remember 
you know, maybe you get people to toast their own marshmallows. It's just an action, the smell, the physicalness of it, the group of people suddenly in their mind has connected them back to things. So that's the, yeah. So it, it can be still simple in a world full of crazy designed things. Yeah. And it's, I think it's about creating those experiences, uh, yeah. at least what I get from you. Yeah. Like, and you kind of use using food as the medium to create these shared yes. experiences. Definitely. So um, I want to like shift topics a little bit from all this philosophical discussion and geek a little bit out on <laughs> the design frameworks. Cause I was reading about, you know, you were saying that you use like you can use design frameworks to craft you know like or like use these design theory and apply it to a food business so often when we think about food businesses or businesses like there's all these frameworks like there's lean startup model and like the business canvas or you know the bank model which is like make me a 35 page business plan (laughs) telling me everything but um tell me a little bit about like what frameworks you use because I loved what you said in a blog post you wrote that like you can't make anything new until you understand how it evolved and where it came from. Yeah, I think that's a bit of my uh, art world creeping into my design world. Yeah. Um, I've I've worked with the, the lean business and the, you know, canvas and things like that, but actually there hasn't been one thought out for the product itself, the the what you're making, and that is so right though because I often find myself um, when I do it, like I'll start doing one just for like the business, and then I'll feel I'll feel like I actually need to make like seven of these because like each product is like different. <laughs> um, but the actual thinking behind the product needs mm-hmm. needs a wee plan of its own, I think. Um, uh, and sustainability is, has grown to be more than, uh, I've got recyclable packaging. You have to start thinking about your product and the con, you know, the concept of the whole world. Like, where did the recipe start? How was it used? How am I using it now? Um, Am I perhaps, yeah, am I taking something from from one culture that I know nothing about and transporting it into another culture that I don't really know? You know, so it, it's about the holistic thinking, your economic sustainability, your environmental sustainability. How culturally sustainable are you? uplifting your community by um, by using these recipes or are you just stealing it? You know, it's like actually give your product a lot of thought. Um, so it's a rather than a chain of sustainability or something, it's like this whole three-dimensional um, net where you've thought out every aspect of your business and um, – and every business I've worked with, sometimes you, you notice when you're asking them questions that they've 
there's areas they haven't thought of or they're so invested in thinking about one particular area they haven't thought about the other areas but they all fit together and I think that's what makes a really great product but it also makes a really good story because these people have thought about everything the past the future the use how it connects everything so I was just thinking that when you were saying that it was like like amazing. Yes, it does help you create a great product because sometimes if you're working through like, for example, the Lean Business Canvas and you get to like what is your unique point and what's your competitive advantage, it can be very easy to just kind of be on the surface, right? Like yeah. that I just – I don't know. I'm doing Israeli food in New Zealand. That's like I'm the only one doing Israeli yeah. food, or I'm the only one making authentic falafel. Yeah. But and if you just stick to that and don't kind of like really, really dig deep on like, but where did my recipe come from? Why is this one better? Why are my falafels more fluffy or yeah. whatever? And if you're not kind of one, is it's great if you can answer those questions because I feel like some of the questions you're listed in that blog post um, often get asked by customers. And if you've thought through that, when you get asked that question, you can tell a great story about it rather than kind of just being on the back foot and being like, uh, you know, I just found this recipe on the blog and it was nice. So I copied it. Um, So that's the one part. And the second part was the stories. Like, because again, like we were talking, it's if you can communicate why this thing is more special, then people will buy it more. So these kind of frameworks help you fine tune. And I'm doing a storytelling workshop where the thing I found really interesting, she mentions the tutor, is it's not about creating one story because often, you know, we preach that let's like, like it's your, about us. Like yeah. that's, that's one story. But you could have like a library of stories about your business. And the skill is also in knowing which story to whip out when, yes. right? Like <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be this one thing. Like we keep getting taught like a oh, focus, simplify. Like, you know, it's you only have this one advantage thing. But I see that myself, like I do these ready-to-cook Indian curry paste. And sometimes the story is about tasting authentic India. Sometimes the story is about convenience. Like, But it doesn't have to be one or the other. But you need to have done the thinking to be able to use those stories. So, yeah, I think that's wonderful. Um, I wanted to also talk a little bit about this project, which I thought was really amazing that you did, which was called The Garden of Goodness. Tell us a little bit about what what that was about, because that's just so interesting. Um, That was amazing. That was in 2017. and it was a once-in-a-lifetime job. Um, it was for Sanitarium New Zealand and in an international marketing company. Um, and Sanitarium wanted people to look at their um, their almond milk, this yeah, their non tradition non-dairy milks in a different way. Um so there was much looking around to find somebody who would help with this. And um the the big marketing company found 
actually found Otago Polytechnic. And they together put together um, this idea of this whole magical Willy Wonkerish, Alice down the rabbit hole, Heston Blumenthal dream thing. Um, and then of of having edible fruit and vegetables filled with um, with things made using the sanitarium milks. Um, so I was called in to help because I'd just graduated and I had this chocolate knowledge. So Sorry, I want to interrupt you there. So you were creating these edible things like, I don't know, fruit it, baskets or whatever, but they were not filled with apple. It was filled with filled the with things. So, that is so amazing. <laughs> um, so the apples had, had an apple pie smoothie inside them. The tomatoes had a cold gazpacho. The pears had a pear and ginger cheesecake. The carrots had a carrot and miso puree inside them. The chilies had a coconut and chili dal. Um, and But they were realistic looking and you picked the apples off the trees, pulled the carrots out of edible soil. Um, it was a hugely sort of interactive, amazing experience. But... So there was a huge team of us in Dunedin working on fillings, working on the, the chocolate moulds, um, making sure it would all go together, trying to get fragile chocolate moulds from Dunedin to Auckland so it could all be assembled in Britomart in a glass house. But my role was working with the chocolate, so I had to turn a sweet, sweetened vegan white chocolate, which was really good for the moulds, not only colour it and make it look realistic, but I had to savoury it up as well because, uh, say, white chocolate and a dal aren't actually flavours that go together. Um, so that was like, I was like, in my element, that was the most amazing thing for me to work with. Um, well received, I think it, it won a Best Design Award. Um, people really, really loved it. People that came through every day through this garden were just picking, picking things off trees. Like, and got that whole childlike. Um, magical thing going so um for sanitarium i hope it really really increased their sales of non-dairy milks but um but for me it gave me a chance to use all all of my skills i hand molded individual fruit and vegetables for the sort of photo shoots um for being shown on tv um so yeah use like art, it used food, it used creative thinking, it used a lot of practical things. I mean, we were there for a week getting up at three o'clock in the morning, um, going to the commercial kitchens to fill these things, um, devising things like the hooks, which looked like you know, a stem that, that attached a pear to a tree. <laughs> it was 
it was amazing. But again, the tutors at Otago Polytech in the food design area, really, really skilled. Um, so, and I was really happy to be part of that team. Um, once in a lifetime, because nobody really has the sort of money to do that kind of really major thing. But also pre-COVID, I had a series of strokes. So now I no longer have the energy to be able to do something all day, every day that is wildly stressful. <laughs> so so um, the COVID lockdown time gave me a chance to think about the areas I could really bring value to businesses, um, the small business, and while also managing my own energy levels. Yeah. That just um, that sounds so amazing, and I just I wish I'd passed through Brimart because on those days because I go to Brimart every other day and they don't they're not doing anything. Oh, <laughs> not I, half as interesting. I think this whole garden of goodness is up on Vimeo. Um, okay. Yeah, there's there's things. I think it's on on YouTube as well, but there's a really nice clip on on Vimeo. I think I have a link on on my blog or something to it okay all right well I think you're doing such amazing work and before we kind of wrap up I want to talk a little bit about how I guess the everyday person and our listeners um you know we've spoken about a lot of things about kind of eating local appreciating food like the concept of feasting but if there was kind of like one message that you had to share about like how we could incorporate these concepts of food design into our everyday life, kind of what what, what would be your message? <laughs> um, this is like your Miss World question, right? Like they always <laughs> ask the pageants, how will you change the world? <laughs> how will I change the world? Through curiosity. I think, I think everybody can approach food with, with curiosity. Even if you're cooking dinner you've got a pumpkin it's like okay what else can I do with it can I use it in a different format can I change the texture could I make it sweet how can I smoke it can I make it savory you know it's like just asking questions um a it stops you getting bored in the kitchen um but I think that's how you start using food design. You think about the people that are going to eat it, people that have grown, whatever you're using. Um, but it's all just curiosity. It's playing. It's just thinking. Yeah. That's cool. my Miss World question. Oh. <laughs> I think I think that's amazing. You know, I read this um, article around, um, I can't remember in which university, but there's this lecturer and he teaches a course, which is the entire course is like called the art of noticing. And um, it just really ties into that curiosity thing that you mentioned. And he gets uh, one of the assignments he gets his students to do is that over a course of a week, they have to kind of pick one everyday thing and it could be, and it has to be one thing. So it could be, I don't know, things you saw outside on your train ride or 
you know, I had, I think they had once a couple, a pair of students and one only looked up while they were walking and the other one only looked down. And what did they notice? Like, what, what did you pick up on? And it's obviously, it's a course on communication and listening and like really tuning in. But so much of that just sounds really like, you know, resonates with yeah. what you said around the curiosity. Like, what, what else can I do with it? Yeah. Um, I spoke to a chef and he makes it was more from like preventing food waste, but he makes, he takes all the skins of onions, roasts it in the oven and then makes this powder. And it's like this onion dust. And he uses it to like kind of do the final garnish on soups and stuff. Um, I mean, he came up with it from like a, Mm. let's not waste all these onion skins, but it's also just like, he was surprised as well at how much of a flavor punch it packed. Um, And that only comes from being like, Hmm, I wonder what would happen if I put these in the oven. <laughs> um, that's so. I think it's that that questioning is where things start to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, before I let you go, Jane, we're going to get into my favorite part of the show, which is called Fast Food Five. And um, it's got nothing to do with fast food, but like five <laughs> fast questions five, about food. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. So one thing that we will always find in your pantry. Ooh, flour. <laughs> nice. Okay. White <laughs> chocolate or dark chocolate? Ooh, there's some really good white chocolates being made now, but, um, yep. Actually, both. Any bean to bar white or dark yep chocolate okay. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like you yes. cheated there but okay i'm gonna I want it all. <laughs> all right your favorite spice and why nutmeg okay i love nutmeg so uh, you know um from the community i come in we make few desserts but all the desserts have the same uh, combination we add like cardamom and nutmeg and everything so it's always a normal recipe and then so it's basically we copy a lot of the british desserts um and the only reason we call them parsi are because we've added vanilla essence and nutmeg <laughs> cardamom to it otherwise it's like the entire british dessert so <laughs> but it's oh. just, it just has that complex tone um yes i yeah. think nutmeg more than anything is is really complex but it's also quite subtle and it works across so many dishes mm, okay i'm i'm yet to try using it in savory food but um if you have a good recipe or some ideas for that maybe i'll pick your brain later yeah <laughs> all right so sugar or salt what would you give up oh give up uh. <laughs> something else entirely (laughs) everything in moderation (laughs) no i don't think you can give up either (laughs) i sometimes find that um cooks will always tend to say they'll give up sugar and 
baking people will say that they'll give up salt um, just because you don't kind of see. For me, when I started learning cooking, like kind of really getting into the kitchen, the big revelation was how, how much salt can be the magic ingredient. Like, you know, you can keep adding other spices, but often all you need to do is just add some more salt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Salt is the best thing with chocolate. It really brings out the flavors in it. Hmm. Okay. All right. And last question. The one way in which kind of maybe studying food design solved the puzzle for you, like maybe it just helped you kind of get an appreciation or, yeah, or why you'd recommend people study food design? Why would I recommend people study food design? I think it's really needed it's an it's an unused or a a thing that's an area of design which is almost sort of been gendered or discounted in some way but it brings a a layer or a dimension or a depth to so many more things not just maybe the production of food. It's the thinking around food systems, um, how your food gets from the the ground to your plate. It's, I just think, yeah, it, it can, it, it's a way of problem solving that can solve, look at a lot of issues. So, yeah, I think everyone, everyone should, should study some aspects of food design. <laughs> Yeah, well, because if I think about it, like it has a huge impact on like even things like climate change, right? Like because so much of it is talking about sustainability and all this kind of appreciating and eating local and that kind of stuff. And that speaks to so many of the kind of bigger global problems. Um, The problem of um, food poverty, not not knowing where your next meal is coming from. Um, The world grows, produces enough food for everyone, but these huge distribution problems, it's, yeah, there are some very, very big problems, and I just work in one teeny, teeny, teeny little corner of it, Um, but I think it's, because it's so much more than just climate change, just plastic food waste it is a a huge area that's why I think more people should study aspects of it learn art read connect with people working in those fields cool all right well Jane I'm gonna let you go before we both go off onto another tangent (laughs) it's been um really lovely talking to you and having this discussion it's kind of taken me back to my original kind of why of you know why why do i love food so much so thank you for doing that for me it's oh, been great thank you for having me it's been really great i love talking food so thank you thanks for listening to the kiwi foodcast brought to you by podcasts new zealand be sure to listen in next time for another helping of kiwi food stories